Pentecost celebrates the very formation of the church, that by the powerful descent of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and disciples who were gathered in that house experienced for the first time what it meant to be the church. That had, of course, they had, of course, experienced discipleship in following Jesus in his earthly ministry. They had even experienced the sacraments before, at least some of them. But of all the things they could have received from the Holy Spirit at that point, at the very foundation of the church, what did they receive? They received the gift of being able to speak many languages so that they could preach to all nations. Notice what they didn't receive. They didn't receive profound theological insights into the mysteries of the faith beyond what they already had. If they had, maybe it would have saved the church centuries of debate about the nature of the Trinity or the real presence in the Eucharist. They also didn't receive detailed rubrics for how the Mass was to be celebrated or how the church was to be organized. Again, that would have saved many debates, probably even some lives over the next 2,000 years. Nor did they receive some kind of gee whiz insight into how to keep the church on a sound financial footing. All of that would have been useful, perhaps. But instead, what the newborn church received was the gift of simply being able to communicate across the language barrier. Of all the things at that point, why was this the gift that the apostles and disciples received? You know, it's interesting that in this day and age, when everyone talks about the importance of multiculturalism and learning to accept and appreciate cultural diversity, that the study of foreign languages in American schools and colleges is at an all-time low. Because no matter how much one learns to appreciate the political or economic or social issues that exist in other cultures or between cultures, unless you can communicate with someone in a common language, there is almost no hope of true interpersonal relationship and thus the possibility of overcoming division. If you've ever learned another language, think back to that first time that you were able to hold an intelligible conversation with someone in that language. What a powerful, unifying experience that was between you and the other person. Because it responds to the longing that we all have to surmount those barriers which keep us separated from others. You'll notice that the passage that we read from the book of Acts It doesn't say that the apostles and disciples were given special eloquence or especially persuasive arguments in those other languages. These people from these other nations that were around them simply said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the mighty acts of God. Yet it's this simple ability to communicate before all else that is shown to be the foundation of the church. And that was meant to communicate to the disciples an important revelation about the nature of the church and the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives. But in order to understand that, we have to look at some of the Old Testament history from Genesis. Now, it's a commonplace enough observation to compare the experience of Pentecost, where the church received the power to speak in many tongues, to the Genesis account of the Tower of Babel. This is where God scattered the people into different nations, speaking different languages, because they dared to try to build a tower to heaven. 
And so we see that in Genesis, God, because of man's hubris, divided the human family into many pieces. Yet at Pentecost, God puts the human family back together, or at least he shows us the way, which is through Christ. Because as St. Paul would later remind us, for all of you who were baptized into for all of you who were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free person, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendant, heirs according to the promise. That doesn't mean, of course, that cultural or nationalistic or linguistic differences are eliminated or made irrelevant, but they will be made subservient to the truth and subordinated to the only truly universal human community, which is the church. That's why the life of the church is always somewhat foreign, somewhat foreign to the life of the world, in no matter what country or culture we are talking about. Things such as priestly celibacy or the monastic life, or even the reliance on the Latin language, function in different ways to prevent the church from being too knitted to any secular culture or country. It creates that separation that allows the church at her best to be the consistent mouthpiece for human dignity in all nations that she is. Because as the church's compendium of social doctrine teaches, to the church belongs the right always and everywhere to announce moral principles, including those pertaining to the social order, and to make judgments on any human affairs to the extent that they are required by the fundamental rights of the human person or for the salvation of souls. It's this universality of the church, her freedom from any particular racial or national or cultural context, that was the great gift given to the apostles and the disciples on that first Pentecost. It was the realization that this man, Jesus Christ, suffered and died for the sins of all, Jew and Gentile alike. And so where previously even God had dispensed his justice amongst the nations by Considering each one separately, he now reconciled all of them together through the cross so that each person could obtain salvation, no matter who they were. And through that salvation, they could also obtain peace with one another. If only we will look to Holy Mother Church. But the Holy Spirit is also the engine of genuine human community, even for those who do not share our Christian faith. St. Paul tells us that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nothing in and of themselves that are religious about these virtues, although, of course, they reach their fullness in the life of faith. Instead, they are the virtues of genuine human community, wherever it's found. That's why, as Catholics, we can rejoice when we see these virtues exercised even by those outside of the church, whether by non-believers or by those who are in imperfect communion, because we know that these things are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And that if we see these virtues in ourselves or in others, we know that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. We know that the winds which blew on the house where the church was first gathered on Pentecost are still blowing today. 
And that is the seed of genuine conversion to Christ. That's why the church at the Second Vatican Council said it addresses itself to the world of men, whether Catholics or believers in some other faith or tradition or non-believers altogether. Because the evangelical mission of the church of spreading the gospel of salvation for all is inseparable from the works of charity and justice to all. Not because we are ever content to do mere good works without reference to spreading the gospel, but because we know that evangelization, the good news that we can be saved by Jesus Christ, is inseparably bound up with the healing of human division and discord, and this is possible because the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the communion of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity formed by the love of the Father to the Son and the Son to the Father, we know that we have in his person the very gift of communion. And so Pentecost, where we we receive the Holy Spirit, is the basis of our communion as well, whether with God or with neighbor.